Good morning, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to have such, two such wonderful readings from God's Word? Such wonderful passages. I can't go wrong this morning, can I? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord our God, we are ordinary people who come to you feeling our need, our need of hearing the voice of God, feeling our need for encouragement, feeling our need of instruction from your word, and feeling the need to receive blessing from being in this place of worship one with another. So Lord, we ask that you will indeed fulfill your promise to bless your word as it goes forth, and pray that the word that we take from this service will be your voice to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I mention the name of Gareth Malone, there can be very few people here who will say, Who? Gareth Malone, OBE. And his achievement? Well, his achievement has been getting ordinary people up and down our country to sing, whether they be people on a rundown housing estate, in factories, in hospitals, in schools. People who never imagined they could sing have been shown, yes, everyone can sing. I'm sure there are a lot of people here who sing in choirs. How many people sing in a choir? Quite a few, I thought. Do you enjoy it? Yes. Yes. What benefit do you get from singing in a choir? Satisfaction. Satisfaction, someone says. It's uplifting. Uplifting. It lifts your spirit. Well, there's a lot more coming. Research has shown that people singing in choirs found that it improved their mood, it it achieved stress reduction, and there were perceived social and spiritual benefits from singing. That's just from singing. So if singing's so good to us, so good for us, you'd expect God to have something to say about it. And yes, the Bible's full of references to singing. In the magnificent 38th chapter of the book of Job, where God is speaking to Job out of the, the, out of the storm, he asks Job, were you there at the earth's creation when the morning stars sang for joy and all... The, And all the angels shouted for joy. According to God's word, this universe was born in singing. Not so much a big bang, but a big sing. Some of you who, like me, like reading C.S. Lewis, will remember his book, Out of the Silent Planet. A book of science fiction written years before the Apollo space program ever began. And in it, he pictures... This man going off into space, out of the Earth's atmosphere, and suddenly he's conscious of the whole universe being full of song, and only the Earth is the silent planet in darkness, spiritual darkness. But we've heard about the morning stars singing for joy. Who can tell me what is the first instance in the Bible of people like us singing What's the first song in the Bible? Come on, worship leader. What's the first song in the Bible? Right, someone's got it. Yes, was that my wife? Oh, you're cheating. You know too much. No, she hasn't seen my notes. Yeah, let's have a quick look at Exodus chapter 14. 
The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. And then at the end of the chapter we read that, where are we? Um, then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Salvation Army did get some things right, didn't they, Peter? <laughs> tambourines and singing, a wonderful picture of singing to the Lord. What sort of song were they singing? Well, I want to suggest they were singing a song of deliverance. Because those people, they hadn't just come through the Red Sea on dry land, marvellous though that was, but they'd been slaves. You remember, going back in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel had been slaves in the land of Egypt. They were subjected to very harsh measures, recruited as slaves to build Pharaoh's treasure cities. And then God made a way where there was no way and led them out, out of Egypt, into the wilderness and then parted the waters for them. And then the, songs, the, the, the waters closed on their pursuers. A song of deliverance. A song of rescue. Do you have a song of deliverance? Some of you have, I know. Some of you have experienced wonderful healings. Some of you have been delivered from addictions. I'd love to have been here last week to hear John Goodway again. Always does me good to hear him. A man who's been delivered from so many problems and is now preaching the gospel of God's deliverance. But do you know, every one of us who are on the Christian way have a song of deliverance. Each one of us have been rescued Let's have a quick look again at Colossians 1. It's going to come up on the screen. Better still, let's highlight the important bits, shall we? Joyfully giving thanks. I like that. Dando gracias con alegría. Lovely, lovely, because Portuguese is quite similar to Spanish. <laughs> lovely, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Why? For he has rescued us. He's rescued us. In a way, although our circumstances are so vastly different, but in essentials, we are the same as those Israelites standing there on the far shore of the Red Sea, conscious that they had been delivered, conscious that nothing could have helped them but the power of God. That's our situation, isn't it? Jesus Christ has suffered to deliver us. He's redeemed us. What does the word say? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Nobody else could have forgiven our sins. No human being has the power to forgive us. Only God can forgive. 
We've been given deliverance, and we should be singing joyfully, joyfully giving thanks. I hope you do. I hope as we sing these wonderful songs of worship this morning, I hope we are joyfully giving thanks for all that God has done, not just in the past week, those things that you've just shared with the person sitting next to you, but looking back, Father. It does us good, doesn't it, sometimes to look back and see the hand of God upon our lives and say, thank you, Lord, I want to joyfully give thanks to you because you have rescued me. We pray in the Lord's Prayer most weeks, we pray, deliver us from evil. Do you ever stop to thank God? Thank you, Lord, for delivering me from evil. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me from all those things that could have happened to me. We have a song of deliverance. But it's not just a song of deliverance. It's a hymn of praise. It's not something that comes naturally to us. Thank you, Martin. It's not something that comes naturally, but something God puts in there. It's a new song that God puts in our heart. Because when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and when we find God through him, he does something. It's not just a change in our way of thinking. It's not just adopting a new creed. Becoming a Christian is opening our hearts, our minds to God and allowing him to do something with the ordinary person that is me. Allowing him to put a new song. A new song that I could never have sung myself. That I would never have wanted to sing myself. A song of praise to God. A song of thanksgiving, of praise for all that he has done. Let's have a look at Psalm 96 again, those first verses. And again, let's highlight the important bits, Martin. Look at those six imperatives. They're instructions to us. Sing. And again, in case you didn't hear it, sing. And again, sing. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory. That wonderful. That's what God wants us to do. It's an exhortation to us this morning. However you're feeling, we have a song, a hymn of praise to our God. Is there an equivalent in the New Testament? Yes, of course there is. No need to look it up, but in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 we read, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There it is. We too are to proclaim his salvation, to declare his glory among the nations, well, at least among the people who live near us, amongst our family, amongst our work colleagues, amongst our friends. It's a hymn of praise to our God, and we sing it not just with our lips, but with our lives. By the way we live during this week, by the way we react to what happens to us this week, by the way we react to people, we have the choice of declaring the praises of God by the way we live. And so we've come back to the question of testimony again, because what we have is a song of testimony. I quote his example time and time again, but I'll do it again there. I love the man born blind in John chapter 9. 
He's one of my heroes of the New Testament. When they bring all the religious bigwigs to try to trip him up and get him to contradict himself, demanding to know how on earth he's able to give this testimony to this man Jesus, he said, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Most wonderful testimony, I think, in the New Testament. It's the simpler. It's something you and I can say. We may not have been physically blind, but we were spiritually blind. Spiritually blind, living in darkness, like C.S. Lewis's picture of the silent planet, with no light coming through. And then God opened our eyes, and we have a song of testimony. But I can hear you saying to me, oh, Mike, don't talk to me about witnessing. I, I tried it once, and I got all tongue-tied and embarrassed, and I, I felt so embarrassed. It was terrible. I've, I, I've given up trying. Perhaps it's because we're looking at this business of witnessing, of testifying to our faith in the wrong way. A speaker I heard years ago said that so often Christians regard witnessing as a grim duty, a grim duty. Is that what it feels like? A grim duty. I have to, have to say something to someone today. Well, I was very encouraged to read this little bit from a book by Leslie Newbigin, a wonderful missionary statesman who died not so long ago. And he wrote this in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. And he talks about mission as being duty. And he says, but it's much more than that. He said, when we see mission as obedience, as duty, it tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. I love that. Have you ever exploded with joy? It's an explosion of joy that can be a corporate explosion of joy as we together praise the God who has rescued us, who has delivered us, who has given us a reason for living. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus, he continues, the news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent? about such a fact. Okay, we need wisdom, I know. You can't go blundering in to every situation talking about Jesus. But there is a way in which the way I live during this week, there was a way in the, the, the things I say, the way I react, my attitudes to people and events can proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. But it could be that too many of us Christians are singing the old song. We're not very good at singing the new song sometimes, are we? It's far easier to sing the old song. What is the old song? We sing it all too often. The old song is a song of complaining. Get two or three British people together, and what happens? They start complaining. They start complaining about the weather, about the television programs, about their hospitals, about the politicians. Amazingly, amazingly, the Israelites, not long after that amazing deliverance that we read about, not long after that, they start complaining. 
So the people grumbled against Moses. We read in that same chapter 15 of Exodus where we read about the song of praise, they started grumbling and saying, what are we to drink? And there's another one somewhere here. And the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is the next chapter. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What a whinge. Isn't that awful? But we live in a culture where people are complaining all the time. Always looking to pull people down. If we're not careful, we Christians start singing the complaining song, the old song. We complain about our leaders, about our church, about our denomination, about where we sit, what we sing. It's no dreary old song. There's so many things you can find to complain about. If you enjoy singing the old song, you can go on forever. But God has put a new song in our hearts. God has planted within us a song that encourages us to lift our eyes from the things around us and to sing praise to our God and to thank God that we can see his hand around us even when things seem to be going wrong. What else is the old song? The old song is a song of self-pity. Elijah, the great man of God, succumbed to this after a great miracle of the Lord He fled into the wilderness. You know the story. Queen Jezebel wanted his head. So he fled into the wilderness. And he said, oh Lord, he said, I've had enough. Take my life, he said. I'm the only one left. No one else believes your word. You might as well just finish it. I've had enough. God had a lot of patience with him. He said, okay, Elijah. Okay, that's fine, I've heard you. Tell you what I've been doing while you've been moaning and self-pitying. I've been making plans for the future, for your future and for the nation's future. And God starts to tell Elijah the important part he's going to have in the nation's future and that he's still got a role. You know, let me confess something to you. A negative testimony, this is, that earlier this week I started singing the old song of self-pity. I thought, oh dear, what a busy week. I've got this and that and this to do and I've got to prepare for next Sunday. Before I knew where I was, I was singing the old song of self-pity. Oh, woe is me, Lord, I'm too busy. (laughs) And I think the Lord reminded me that his strength is made perfect in weakness. We sang it, didn't we, earlier? His power is greater than we can possibly imagine. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. And so, thank God, he helped me out of that song of self-pity. What else? We could go on a lot about the old song. It might not be very, very edifying. The old song is a song of greed. We live in a materialist society. Well, I was reading this week that people bought Olympic souvenirs last year only to put them on eBay this year and sell them at three times the price. We live in a materialist society that's counting the... Counting the pennies all the time, counting the pounds and living by the rules of materialism. My friends, the song of the Lord, the new song, is a song of confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there's lots more in the New Testament like this. But before I close, some of you choir members are thinking to yourselves, yeah, there's something Mike has forgotten in saying, talking all about the glories of singing in a choir. First of all, you have to learn to sing together. No choir is a collection of soloists. There are different parts. There are different tunes you have to learn. The New Testament says don't give up meeting together. God wants us to meet together. Doesn't matter whether we like the preacher, doesn't matter whether we don't like him, if we like the seats we sit on, if we don't like the songs we sing. God wants us to meet together and to learn to be part of his new choir. But most importantly, you members of the choir know that the hard work is in the rehearsals, isn't it? The hard work is in the practicing, in the rehearsals. And practicing the new song, the new song of deliverance, of praise to our God, of testimony, practicing that new song will stand us in good stead when circumstances go against us. When the sun isn't shining, when you're lonely, when you're in pain, when you're feeling God isn't answering your prayers, what happens to that new song then? We need to be practicing it when the times are good. We need to get in the habit of giving praise to God rather than complaining. We must get in the habit of measuring our success not by the amount of money we've got in the bank or how well our investments are performing, but measuring our success by being able to look back over the past week and see what God has done. Because there are times when we feel like the Israelites felt when they were in captivity. When they sat by the rivers of Babylon and wept when they remembered their homeland so far away. When they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But we can. And there are lots of examples. Paul and Silas, you know the story, thrown into jail. Feet in the stocks. And in the dead of night, they woke up all their fellow prisoners. How inconsiderate of them. They woke them all up. How did they wake them up? Not by shouting, get us out of here. Not by shouting, we're innocent. They woke up all their fellow prisoners by singing hymns of praise to God. Wonderful example, isn't it? Do you know what? It did something to them. It did something to the prison walls. I can't guarantee that that will always happen today. But it did something to those prison walls. They tumbled down and they came out. But I guarantee that if those prison walls had not tumbled down, I think Paul and Silas would still be singing hymns of praise to God the next night and the night after. We've been hearing about Romania and some of our young people are going there. Romania, as you know, hasn't always been an open country. It was a closed and oppressive country some 25, 30, 40 years ago. And the pastor Richard Wormbrand spoke out boldly for his faith and he was thrown into jail and he was in solitary confinement for three years underground in a communist prison. He was regularly tortured. But he discovered a wonderful strength in the act of praising God 
which led him to visions of heaven that sustained him through those three years of physical and mental torture. But the most moving example is in the Old Testament. We read that book that perhaps we don't read very often, but in Lamentations, which is Jeremiah's lament over the destruction of the beloved city of God. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed by the Babylonians, sacked, pillaged. The king and the other leaders have been led off in chains. Solomon's magnificent temple, one of the wonders of the world, is in ruins. And the prophet Jeremiah is heartbroken. The book of Lamentations is like a continual sobbing of his grief before the Lord. But in the midst of his poignant sobbing, in the midst of this dirge of lament, there is something that you choir members will know about. There's a soaring solo voice that comes above the throbbing of this lament. And it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Hope amidst apparent despair, amidst apparent total destruction. Jeremiah's soul was encouraged in the Lord. You know, one day, we as God's choir of rescued and redeemed people, we're going to be singing. Just like Gareth, after all those rehearsals, got his choir to sing in the Albert Hall. So we're going to be singing in a venue much greater than the Albert Hall. We're going to be singing where the praise is never ending as we sang. It's going to be true. We're going to have that song, that wonderful new song of joy, of hope, of deliverance, of rescue, where all of us can sing and where we will sing to the glory of God. But meanwhile, don't let's give up on the rehearsals.